Welcome. We're going to speed through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in approximately 30 minutes. I'm Stephen Buckley and this is the third part of a series going long through the main themes of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation from Eden to Zion. But before we get stuck into Genesis 1-1, I thought it would be helpful to do a fast-forward run-through of the Bible to paint the big picture, even if some of this doesn't stick. Are you ready? Hold on to your seats. Let's go. The world was good. It is now bad, but it will be good again. Say after me, good, bad, good. How easy is that? You now know the complete history, past, present, and future. You may have depression. You may have 40 panic attacks a day. Yes, you're suffering, but good news, it won't always be like this. It will be good again. Okay, let's flesh it out. In the beginning, God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons in one being created the heavens and the earth, everything in the universe in six days, approximately 6,000 years ago. After creating the earth, light, skies, sea, the sun, moon, stars, galaxies, birds, sea creatures, animals, and angelic creatures, on the sixth day, God created man in his own image. Adam was created from the dust, Eve from Adam's rib. If you're struggling with self-confidence, remember you were created in God's image. On the sixth day, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. That means perfect to you and me. God rested from his work on the seventh day and this created the pattern for our working week today. So thank God if you have Saturday off. It was also a prophecy, a day for a thousand years of this age before the age to come and to tee up the Jubilee calendar, God's calendar. The outer heaven, the abode of God and the stewardship of the earth given to man. It was one big household over which God is the master. Here's where it goes wrong. If you want to understand why the world is in a mess, you have to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Here's what happened. Adam, who was a priestly king responsible for the Garden of Eden, sinned against God, meaning disobeyed God, by eating from the only tree God said do not eat from. And from that moment in history, everything changed. So God speaks to those involved, Satan, Eve, and to Adam. To Satan, who is an angel gone bad, who, who also tricked Eve to eat from the tree, God made an astonishing promise. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, or, or your seed and his seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, to explain, one would be born from the seed of a woman who would be hurt, but who would go on to destroy Satan's seeds and his kingdoms. Now, what does that mean? We'll find out throughout the story. However, even though God promises a, a saviour in the seed, there would be consequences in the meantime for our sin. To Eve, God said that childbirth would now be painful. Any mums and dads listening? Accurate. I think so. He said that women shall desire the authority of their husband. Any guys whipped by their wives? Accurate? I think so. Uh, to Adam, God said, cursed is the ground because of you. 
thorns and thistles would now grow, which is why we have to order weed and feed each spring for our gardens. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Rather than work and worship going hand in hand, rather than work being pleasurable, it would now be tough. It wasn't meant to be like this. God said you will no longer live forever, but eventually die, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Sin brought about death, and they were kicked out of the garden. Now, if you want to know why there is great suffering in a world created by a great God, read Genesis, because man's inheritance, our guardianship of the world was lost. And now the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Submission to Satan means he is he has been temporarily given authority to run the world. And the ground that we walk, our home is cursed. Our bodies are cursed. Death, disease, suffering. It's not supposed to be part of life. We were supposed to live forever, but we chose the tree of knowledge and not the tree of life. And we currently dwell with the consequences of our sin and everyone else's, everyone else's sin that, that lives around us and have gone before us. Now, so far we've gone from good to bad. Can you say good to bad? But God promised the seed. Remember the seed. If you want to understand the Bible, follow the seed from Genesis to Revelation. The seed is the solution to our suffering because it's the seed who is the Messiah and ultimate saviour. Now, all people come from Adam and Eve. So if you are racist, you are either ignorant of genuine science or willfully stupid. Now, before the Great Flood, people lived to hundreds of years old. Adam to 930. Imagine how many kids he fathered. It must have been a nightmare washing all those bottles. <laughs> Now, as the population grew, so did the evil ways of man. The more sin, the more curse, the more the whole creation has been groaning. The more pain that we suffer, the more believers groan inwardly. We are proverbially pooing on our own doorstep. About 4,400 years ago, over 1,600 years since creation, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It grieved God to his heart. So he had to rid the world of evil by flooding the entire planet, but he kept his promise of the seed by keeping a man and his family alive on a 510 foot giant boat and his name was Yes, Noah. Eight people in total, along with 1,500 different kinds of animal and birds, approximately 7,000 in total on board the ark that were saved to repopulate the planet. Now, after a long year, the flood subsided and God made a covenant with Noah and all mankind saying, among other things, that the seasons will not cease. Climate change folks, listen up. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon all living things. No longer can you have a pet tiger. Now every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Thank God for barbecues. Because we're made in his own image, if you murder a man, then you should pay with your life. Soft on justice in the UK? He said, never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And his rainbow is a visible sign of this promise and everlasting covenant between God and every living creature. The flood is a warning that God can judge and will one day judge the world. But it poses the question, how does God solve the problem of evil in the meantime without destroying everyone?
Well, about a century after the flood, the population had grown and mankind were at it again. The whole earth had one language and pride and self-glorification led them to build a city called Babel with a great tower that reached the heavens. And God came down and said, this is only the beginning of what they will do. Let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. He separated the people into different groups by instantaneously giving them different languages. So naturally, each group split off, which became 70 family nations. Their pride split apart. Perhaps Brexit is a good thing after all. Only kidding, we're not getting into that. God sees our bad and turns it into something good. Fast forward a few hundred years and God chose a man named Abram, a descendant of Adam and Noah, who he renamed Abraham. Essentially, he promises Abraham three things. Are you ready? Say after me, one, land, two, nation, three, blessing. Yes, a land, a great nation that will be a blessing to all nations. It was an unconditional covenant and God's character is staked upon it. As God had separated the people into language groups at Babel because of their pride, he can now start with one man creating his very own nation with its own language and culture that would be the vehicle to restore all other nations. Wow, he's clever, isn't he? It's as if he's got a plan. Now, remember, throughout the Bible, God is showing us how he would get us back to those Garden of Eden conditions that were good. That's the big idea. God is restoring us from bad to good, kingdom lost to kingdom restored. Even though Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids, he gave them Isaac. Anyone called Isaac, what does it mean? It means laughter because Sarah laughed at the thought of her being able to have kids at her old age after decades of trying. Isaac had twins, Esau and Jacob, and Jacob was renamed by God to become who? Israel. So Abraham, who had Isaac, who had Jacob, who was renamed Israel, and Israel had 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel, one of which is called Judah, which is where we get the word Jew. It will become clearer in a moment. Joseph was one of the 12 sons. And I'm sure you've heard how he had dreams in a colourful coat and his brothers throw him in a pit and he ends up in Egypt where he goes from servant to prisoner to prime minister under Pharaoh. His brothers and their dad Jacob, Israel, end up rejoining Joseph in Egypt due to famine. You've seen the Disney cartoons, you've been to the theatre, but once Joseph dies and a new Pharaoh is installed, the Israelites had increased greatly and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So the authorities ruthlessly made them work as slaves in Egypt for another century and a half or so. God, however, sticks to his promises. We're now approximately 1500 BC, two and a half thousand years after creation. God raises up an Israelite in Egypt from the tribe of Levi, who would be named Moses, orchestrating a plan where instead of Pharaoh killing him as a baby, he was adopted into Pharaoh's household. And so he received the best education of the day. And with signs and wonders empowered by God, Moses led them out of Egypt, protected by the blood of the first Passover lamb, through the Red Sea into the Arabian desert, where they spent 40 years sojourning. God gave them a law starting with the Ten Commandments and a type of temple constructed like a tent called a tabernacle with a worship service. And he gave them a sacrificial system to teach them about innocent blood shed to atone for sin. Now, as well as instituting the Sabbath, he gave them feasts, holy days, appointed days throughout the year to look back and to look forward and ultimately to testify to Messiah. At Mount Sinai, he said, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall 
shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And together Israel said, we will. It was a marriage covenant. God and his new creation, his bride Israel. The covenant blessings were conditioned on obedience. Blessings for good, curses for bad. The Abrahamic covenant stands forever, but disobedience to the covenant at Sinai meant temporal curses, including temporal removal from the land. But the covenantal law anticipates a new covenant, one that would circumcise their hearts to keep God's law so that the Abrahamic covenant can one day be fulfilled. Now, before Moses died, he had written the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law, the teachings, led by Joshua in Hebrew, Yeshua. The next generation entered the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and took it from an evil people called the Canaanites. Now, why have a temple structure without a king? If they were to be a kingdom, they would surely need a king. Now, it wasn't long until they wanted to do it their own way in the land of Israel rather than God's. They wanted a human king like other nations. God said, I'm your king, but if you wish, I'll give you a king. And Saul was the first king, a tall, dark, handsome man who started good but ended bad. And then God chose David, a man after his own heart, who was anointed by the prophet Samuel. This David was the one who killed Goliath, the nine foot six giant of the Philistines. David became king and God promised him that his son would build a temple for the Lord and that one day that a true king, the seed of David, would reign in his place and that his kingdom shall be made sure forever and his throne shall be established forever and this king would have a father-son relationship with God. It was an unconditional covenant. Who would be this everlasting king to reign an everlasting kingdom that would be to God a son? Now, please don't lose me here because this is where it's getting exciting. We have a picture of what God is doing. He's promised a land, a nation that descends from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, renamed Israel, a law with a temple service and a portable temple given to Moses, and, a, and the genesis of a permanent temple destined for an everlasting king to reign and rule, promised to David, rule what? The land with a law, a people, and their king, a kingdom. He wasn't kidding at Sinai. It is this Israeli priestly kingdom that will be the blessing to all people, including you and me. This is how God will take us from bad to good. This is the good news of the kingdom. And we haven't even touched the New Testament yet. Do we get an amen? I think so. The question is, how exactly can the kingdom be achieved? Remember, the key to the kingdom is the promised seed. As we'll find out, the promised seed, the Messiah, is the everlasting king and God's son. After King David came his son, King Solomon, who built the first proper stone temple for the Lord in Jerusalem. He became extremely wealthy and wrote proverbs of wisdom, including the words written around the dome ceiling of the Manchester Central Library. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. But he, 
Although a foreshadow would not be the everlasting king, Israel went on to have many kings, mostly bad. And like families and nations, there was a divide. What was called Israel in the north, which contained 10 tribes, and Judah in the south that consisted mainly of the tribe of Judah, Benjamin, and some Levites. Remember that as an aspect of the law given to Moses was that if they disobey God, they would be temporarily removed from the land. So because of their unfaithfulness, God allowed the Assyrians to take the northern tribes known as Israel and then the Babylonians came and raided Judah of the south and took them captive. Now I'm sure you've heard of Daniel and the lion's den. That took place in Babylon, modern day Iraq. Daniel was a righteous man who wrote of a dream that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. Remember the promise God gave at the beginning that the seed of the woman, this seed would set up the everlasting kingdom and destroy the kingdoms of Satan. Now the Medo-Persians conquered Babylon and King Cyrus decreed that he would let the Jewish people go back to their land and rebuild the temple as promised by God through the prophet Jeremiah and Isaiah. And you can go and see the original uh, decree, which is now in the British Museum, along with fascinating Assyrian and Babylonian artifacts. Although after 70 years of being in, in, in exile in Babylon, many of the Israelites had established their lives and built businesses, and they, they didn't want to go back to an, a mostly unfamiliar land. And, then, and some might have felt they were too old or frail to endure the 900-mile journey back. So many stayed, and those that went back were largely of the tribe of Judah. Uh, Yehudi means from the kingdom of Judah. So Judah, Judaism, Jew, you got it. Over the centuries before and after exile, God spoke directly through prophets, warning Israel to turn back to God from their evil ways. Both prophets in the north like Elijah, Amos and Hosea, and in the south like Isaiah, Joel, Zechariah, and of course those taken off to Babylon like Daniel and Ezekiel. The prophets revealed more about how one day this mysterious figure called Messiah would come and that he would fully restore their nation, bring peace, bring about a new covenant and establish his kingdom. And with this kingdom, a new heavens and earth would emerge, free of war, with perfect justice, a reversal of the, the curse on mankind and the earth and so forth. And this Messiah would be the promised seed. It was a mystery. How could the Messiah, as the prophets describe, be humble and mounted on a donkey, despised and rejected by men, smitten by God and afflicted, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, would say that they have pierced my hands and feet, be tortured to death. His grave would be with the wicked, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And in doing so, he bore the sin of many. And yet, this same man shall judge between the nations, be the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, that peoples and nations and languages should serve him, and that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How could the Messiah suffer and die a devastating death at the hands of his own people, but at the same time dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever and reign as their glorious king who has charge over all the earth. And these prophecies were written hundreds of years before the Roman Empire. 
After the prophets, Alexander the Great conquered the Persian Empire and it split and crumbled and the Greek influence remained strong and Jewish rebels called the Maccabees founded the Hasmonean dynasty, gaining independence for about a century before falling to the Roman Empire in 63 BC. Herod the Great would be installed as a Roman client king of Judea. After the last prophets, the Jewish people heard nothing for 400 years, and then 2,000 years ago, approximately 4,000 years after creation, this Messiah, or in Greek, the Christ, meaning the Anointed One, came, as prophesied, born of a virgin, God in the flesh, and his name is Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yeshua. Jesus is the promised seed, the seed of Abraham and the seed of David of the tribe of Judah. This, this is the seed of, of the woman promised in the Garden of Eden. He commanded the wind and the waves. He raised the dead. He healed the sick and he forgave sins only as God would do. He spoke and he acted as though he knew nature and people and angels and demons and the mysteries of life and the universe. He predicted his own death and resurrection. He said before Abraham was, I am and I and the Father are one. Even the officers did a U-turn when commanded to bring Jesus to the chief priests and Pharisees. They declared, no one ever spoke like this man. Jesus' phraseology of I am, I say, I will is unlike any other person in history. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine. He claimed to be the Son of God and the Son of Man, fully God, fully man, God in the flesh. He claimed to be that messianic God-man, the promised seed, the cloud rider, the one who would be the everlasting King of Israel, promised to David, and to reign and rule the nation and the land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to sit on a throne in his temple with a law going forth and establish his everlasting kingdom that Daniel saw in the visions. It would be this king and his kingdom that would bless all the nations of the earth. We require a redeemer ever since Adam's sin. We need another Adam, a last Adam. The first Adam was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven who could live the life that we failed to do, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, without debt, rich in mercy, fulfilled the law of Moses and laid down his life for us to take our place on death row. Jesus was and is that person. As prophesied, Jesus was tortured beyond recognition. Then they crucified him, hanging on a wooden cross. He said, it is finished, which means the debt has been paid. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God came in the flesh to become our kinsman redeemer, taking the curse upon himself, the atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, to redeem our lives and buy back the land we lost, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Just as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, so Jesus was lifted up on a cross. Unlike Isaac, he was offered. He was the sacrificial Passover lamb. He is the better Joshua, the better Joseph. His blood speaks louder than Abel's. He's the new Adam, the new David, the branch, the star, the scepter, the suffering servant, the shepherd, the mighty one of Jacob, the rock of Israel, the appointed judge, the rejected court 
cornerstone, the prophet, priest, and king, all in one. Jesus refused to submit to Satan. So though he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures on the Jewish day of first fruits. And he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God, and appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. He then ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him as he intercedes on behalf of his bride. But this wasn't the end of Jesus' work. The seed has not yet crushed Satan and his kingdoms. Sin and its consequences are still reaping havoc. In fact, the last question his followers asked him before he ascended to heaven was, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus fulfilled the first part, but we're waiting for the second. Jesus secured the promises of his first coming. The seed has now been planted and paid for the world to be renewed to good. We are awaiting for him to cash his title deeds, to cash that check. Ten days after his ascension, God sent the Holy Spirit in abundance on the Jewish day of Shavuot, Pentecost, the 50th day counted after Passover and the cross. And now the Holy Spirit lives in all those who believe and trust Jesus as their saviour, as a down payment, a seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit of what is to come, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What we call at the New Testament scriptures were then written by the apostles who then built upon and expounded upon the mysteries of the Old Testament and gave us instructions how to live and more detailed prophecies about Jesus's return. Now as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God we understand that the new covenant would be inaugurated by the blood of Messiah by way of crucifixion. The two advents of Messiah with a 2,000 year plus gap in which we live meaning a two-phase administration of resurrections of new covenant of the pouring of the spirit uh, though the early church was predominantly Jewish, Israel corporately rejected their king. So uh, his first coming was to serve and be sacrificed and his second coming in glory, mighty to save, mighty to judge, accepted by Israel as their king. Uh, the mystery of Gentile inclusion in Israel's covenant unto the formation of an international bride. Uh, Gentiles can become fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God in the commonwealth of Israel. Simply put, two comings, kingdom delayed, grab your ticket. We live between the two comings, the inter-advent period, and everyone on the planet has a choice to accept or reject the God of creation. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Those who repent of their sin and rebellion, and by faith recognize Jesus as Lord, receive the forgiveness of sins, indwelling of the, the Holy Spirit under the new covenant, and will partake in the resurrection and coming kingdom. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come.
Now, for those following Jesus, we expect to suffer now before glory. Betrothed to our Saviour, we patiently endure evil, setting our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yet since the first century, Gentiles now dominate the church and we've made it too much about us and at times made a horrible mess, confused the message, and then people claiming to be Christians are doing wicked things. So aside from the wolves in sheep's clothing, forgive us. Uh, but, our, but our failure of character is a reminder that we require a saviour. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Israel would be scattered among the nations. Now, since then, Jerusalem has been ruled by the Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, uh, various modes of the Islamic Empire, uh, the Crusaders, uh, back to the Islamic Ottoman Empire, even us British, uh, with the Mosaic Covenant still in play. Uh, six million Jews perished in the Holocaust, but Satan could not stop the plan. In 1948, the state of Israel was re-established in the land. Jerusalem is forever in the headlines. And even though man and Satan have made a mess of the earth, God is sovereign over the universe and fully in control, setting the stage for his return. In 67, Israel took control of the Temple Mount. And now nearly 2,000 years have passed since the first coming, around 6,000 years from creation. And very soon, the seventh, the millennial reign of Christ Jesus will be ushered in to the people of Israel. God spoke through Hosea saying, I will tear and go away. Hosea said, after two days, 2,000 years, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. God says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. Jesus is coming soon to fulfill all the prophets wrote of him, restore Israel, reign as their king, wed his people, establish his kingdom, and here's how it goes down. There's a final 70th week of Daniel's prophecy to come, a unit of seven years at the end of this age defined by covenant, a deception, wars and rumours of wars, a famine, economic collapse, pestilence, rebellion and falling away. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. In the middle of the week, three and a half years, the Antichrist figure, the little horn, the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, who is revealed, will set up the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. He takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. The great tribulation begins, a time of distress for Jacob, the mark of the beast, persecution unto death. The two witnesses preach and nations will gather against Jerusalem and the city shall be taken. Yet for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. If we keep awake and be sober immediately after the tribulation of those days, the great cosmic signs appear, the sun darkened, the stars fall, the moon turns red, the seas roar, fire, mountains and islands are removed and the skies roll up and between the sixth and seventh seal of revelation, the parousia known as the rapture, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Gathered together to him, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed into our new glorified immortal bodies. His angels 
will gather his elect from the four winds in the great harvest. The day of the Lord arrives. As he judged the world in the flood of Noah's day, so he will pour out his wrath on the earth when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The two-phase trumpet and bold judgments. Though Israel has been plundered, the Lord will go out and fight against those nations in a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Rays flashed from his hands, their lifeblood splattered on my garments. Alone he delivers the captives of Israel, physically leading them back to the promised land, retracing the Exodus steps, and they will accept Jesus as their king as he rides into Jerusalem. Nations will gather to fight in the battle of Armageddon, but Jesus will strike them with a plague, and their flesh will rot while they're still standing on their feet. And it will be a great wine press. The Holy Spirit poured out on Israel and the nation is born again, transitioning from the old covenant and under the new. And the tribes of Israel will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Jesus, the promised seed, will have defeated the seed of the serpent, the Antichrist, and him and the false prophet are thrown alive into the lake of fire. We'll witness the sheep and goat judgment. Satan is bound for a thousand years. Not to forget Jesus on his white horse will bring back from heaven the saints a big Jewish messianic lavish wedding banquet made up from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, with Israel at the center. The millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign begins in which Jesus reverses is the curse. Survivors of the nations will continue. Qualified nations will continue and the people will live hundreds of years again. Israel now a kingdom of priests and a holy nation and the administrators of the covenantal blessings. A new heavens and a new earth emerge when the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for the waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and the Lord will be king over all the earth. Ezekiel's temple will be built on the mountain of the Lord and the new Jerusalem just south thereof. The feasts continue as the nations join Israel each autumn for the tabernacles. In a shock twist, when the thousand years are ended, the rest of the dead are resurrected and Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them and the devil was thrown into the lake of fire and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. From the eighth millennium, Jesus, the Lion of Judah, continues to rule the earth forever from Zion, Jerusalem, as the Davidic king of kings, death eradicated, no more pain, suffering, war, and the earth will be cleansed of evil forever. The restoration of all things complete when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. His household will be good again. And now we've gone from bad to good. Can you say good to bad to good? You got it, the end. How did we do for time? Did we make it about the 30 minute mark? Now, I don't expect you to remember all that. 
right? The idea is to paint you a grand picture. Many things I've left out. If I did it again, I may paint it differently as you would. Now, close up the story of the Bible is fine art in detail, but when you step back, it's a painting or a tapestry of beauty for everyone to appreciate and take pleasure in. It's, it's how the world once was good, it is now bad, but it will be made good again. And how? Well, through the mediatorial kingdom of God, which will be established by God's anointed son, Jesus. This is a true story. It's not fiction. All stories spring from the ideas from this grand narrative. Now, I hope that's been, that's been helpful and given you an interest in reading the Bible. That's my intention to give you a passion uh, for reading the word of God. It could lead to your salvation. And if you're not aware, you can download Bible apps on your phone for free and you can read it, it can speak it out to you while you're driving or you're in the gym or gardening or whatever. Next time, uh, we're going to start at Genesis 1-1, the creation days. Blessings.